0: Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund.
1: And I'm Simone Laws with Restore or Retreat.
0: And it is officially December. It is. The holiday lights are up, the Christmas trees are up, and Lights on the Lake is... Coming up as well it's on December 14th. Like. Uh, it's it's hard to believe someone another amazing year for Delta Dispatches.
1: I know. We're so amazing, Jacques. And it's, it's pretty unbelievable that we get through an entire
0: year. <laughs> we're still here. Um we're this is not our year end show. We're gonna do a special no, year end no. wrap up. But, Those are always so fun. But it's crazy, I think we're, you know, closing it's out it? on on the decade.
1: Oh, wow. Now that you say it like that, that makes me feel old as well.
0: (laughs) Well, we've got a great show in store. Um, We're talking about, uh, we're really getting down to the coast. We're going Mm -hmm. out to Southwestern Louisiana. We're going to talk about a new documentary that's coming out about duck hunting. Um, And so, you know, we're moving forward. I'm really excited to have on this show, um, Claire Hebert-Marceau, Port Director with the Cameron, Cameron Parish Port. Welcome to Delta Dispatches, Claire.
2: Oh, thank you, Jacques. I'm so excited to be on with both you and Simone. I know. I I know. I know, Claire. I know. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, is just like talking to me on the phone, Claire, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to say it is great to have another a on the show. Mm.
1: Shock always stacks the deck, Claire, just so you know. He either well, puts people he knows, people where he's from, and now he's going with the last name.
2: Well, you know, it's easy to do that with a because <laughs> I'm a Terrio, too, right? We're the mo- exactly. Us Broussards and Terrios, right? <laughs> so there are more people of Acadian descent with the surname a Bear yeah, than did, any other. There you yeah. go. Did you right. know that?
0: I knew that. I mean, I, re- I remember back when there were phone books and you would just like <laughs> look and you could see, you know, we, we took up a good quarter of the phone book, just A Bear's alone. Okay, but you had a yeah. funny
1: meme not that long ago about the A Bear. (laughs) That's right.
0: Exactly. Uh, For those who may have been following the lady screaming at the cat meme, there was one that was the lady saying Herbert. And the cat's like, no, it's a bear, you know, which I think we all can relate to.
2: Absolutely. Being as close to Texas as I am here Mm. in Cameron Parish, there, yeah, people butcher it. Uh, It's just uh, part of the, the daily life here. But yeah, Herbert my whole life. and um, That's, yeah, a, that's when
1: folks. you knew it was a crank caller or, or like a right? robo
2: call right. or whatever. Well, Can I speak to Miss Herbert, please? You're right. My dad's name is Cedric Bear, so I always knew when someone would call and ask to speak to Cedric Herbert, <laughs> they probably didn't know who he was.
1: <laughs> yeah, we don't want what you're selling. So, Claire, you tell us a little bit about yourself. You just mentioned you grew up in southwest Louisiana, right? But tell us more about yourself.
2: So uh, I was born and raised here in Cameron Parish. uh, Both of my dad's parents are A-Bears, and all four of my great-grandparents were A-Bears. So (laughs) uh, it runs deep. Um, And my my dad's parents actually left the Lafayette area in 1954, uh, which was three years before Hurricane Audrey hit Cameron. And they came to Cameron because my grandfather was going to be managing the Superior Oil Dock here in Cameron. And apparently he did that so well that there are people now that just know him as Mr. Superior.
3: Uh-huh. They don't even
2: know what his first name was. So, um, but, yeah, I was born and raised here. I graduated from South Cameron High School. Go Tarpons. <laughs> and uh, because of that connection to South Lafayette. South of Fouche has Tarpons, too, by the way. I know. Chet and I talk about it <laughs> I <office>. bet. <laughs> um, we, uh, but because of that uh, familial connection with Lafayette, I chose to go to UL. After I graduated uh, UL Lafayette, and so I stayed, I lived in Lafayette for 11 years, and it's my second favorite place in Louisiana next to Cameron. But um, yeah, it's, that's a little bit of background on me.
0: So, Claire, um, you studied and taught English um, for a period. So, tell us, how did you go from um, teaching English to being the director of the Cameron Parish Port and so deeply involved in coastal issues?
2: Well, it's actually a question that I've been asked lots of times, and the most linear account of it that I can come up with is that that I started out, like I said, at UL Lafayette as actually a mechanical engineering student, and then uh, after much gnashing of teeth, I changed my major to English because I really felt a strong connection to my humanities instructors, people like Dr. Barry Ancelet at UL Lafayette, and even considered uh, being a francophone studies student, but Uh, While I was still working on my master's degree in British literature at UL, I started working at the Episcopal School of Acadiana and then at St. Thomas More, the Catholic high school there in Lafayette. But when Hurricane Rita hit in September of 2005, I stopped teaching and went to work for FEMA. And um, I did that because I thought that if I could infiltrate FEMA and understand the system and figure out ways to help the people of coastal Louisiana, that was how I could best use my life. And uh, my years at FEMA led to a job with the Calcasieu Parish Police Jury. And Calcasieu, for those that aren't... Uh, familiar uh, with where Cameron is even located. If Louisiana is a boot and New Orleans is the toe, I'm the heel up against Texas and the Gulf of Mexico. And Calcasieu Parish, which is where Lake Charles is, is about 50 miles. Lake Charles is about 50 miles north of Cameron. And so I worked in Calcasieu Parish and administered uh, federal grant dollars that helped Calcasieu Parish recover and become more resilient. And um, I was there for four years. An opportunity to, to work for Entergy, the utility company, opened up, and I thought, why not? I mean, I've never really known how to do any of the things that I did to make a living, so why not go to work for a utility company? I was there for about two and a half years um, in the Intergy gig and got a call from my friend Ron Buyak, who was the Cameron Parish Administrator at the time, and he asked if I wanted to come to Cameron and work as Director of Economic Development, and I... I couldn't say no. And so that led to me serving as the director of our public port authority here in Cameron. And, um, you know, going back to coastal issues, you asked, uh, Jacques, uh, I think coastal issues should be of paramount concern to anyone who consumes energy. So no matter where you live, if you can turn on a light switch, then you should probably know where that energy is coming from. And I got involved in coastal issues because I felt like if I didn't, then how could I ask Others to do so.
1: So, wow, that's a, a great trail to where you are today. So, let's talk about the port a little bit. Tell us about the Cameron Parish Port. Is it, is it what people think a port would be? It's a container. Like, tell us a little bit about that.
2: It's not at all what most people <laughs> imagine uh, a port is. We don't manage any facilities here at the Cameron Parish Port. The the Public Port Authority um merged there were two port authorities here in east and west cameron port and we merged uh, thanks to the help of uh, senator blade marsh and back in 2017 we became the cameron parish port harbour and terminal district after being two separate ports since 1968 so long story short um, in in our uniqueness is that the the port's boundary is cameron parish so more than 1900 square miles that is Cameron Parish, is also the Cameron Parish Port Harbor and Terminal District area. So we can do port business anywhere in the parish. Um, And the mission of our port is to first actively promote Cameron Parish residents and businesses and enhance opportunities for them through every industry currently operating or planning to locate here in the parish. And our port commission through development of facilities, land, programs, and services strives to create sustainable growth while maintaining our culture and way of life which as you guys know uh in all of coastal louisiana is certainly important we live in a a really rich state so
1: so you have quite a story to tell about the port in itself right and, and you mentioned Chet earlier Chet has a similar story right with the with they're not a container port it's not what you see here in New Orleans you know and and what you may think of with that and certainly y'all are even more distinct in the fact of that you have this preservation of culture and way of life and so like what, what would be an example of some of the work you do in that area?
2: Mostly, Simone. It, uh, at least for me, what I see as the most important part is sharing information and uh, demystifying Cameron Parish, or um, helping people who have never been to Cameron Parish understand that uh, you know there are six alligators for every one of us here. Uh, we are home to a strategic petroleum reserve we have 26 miles of publicly accessible beaches uh there were Atacapa indians here uh, before the white settlers started to come in and purchase property uh it's an amazingly rich place uh, again we have the, the sabine lighthouse the sabine pass lighthouse we're working right now i'm um, on the board for our um, cameron preservation alliance and our number one priority is to um Secure structurally that lighthouse. Um, it's one of a, a, a very few on the Gulf Coast that's actually accessible to the public. Um, it's about helping people understand that this is a treasure and a jewel in the Louisiana crown. You know, the the rest of the world is focusing on uh, the export of liquefied natural gas from Cameron. From Cameron, we're expo- exporting liquefied natural gas to more than thirty countries around the world.
1: Well we certainly Claire, hold that thought, hold yes. that thought. We have plenty more to talk to you about. Um if you don't mind holding with us through the break, we will get back and we have a whole bunch more questions for oh, you. Oh, absolutely. Great. You're listening to Delta Dispatches every Thursday on WGSO nine ninety. We'll be right back.
3: National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org/louisiana to find out more about our work to restore and protect Coastal Louisiana for generations to come, National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world, nwf.org slash Louisiana. Hi,
0: I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our
3: future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help.
0: At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org.
1: Restore a Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long term and large scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.RestoreOrRetreat.org.
0: And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Auber with Environmental Defense Fund, and
1: I'm Simona Laws with Restore Retreat. We're, we're live. We're
0: live Anna? with Claire Abert Marceau, Port Director of Cameron Parish Port, and also a board member of the Coalition to Restore Coast of Louisiana. And this week's coastal stat of the week is about the Coalition to Restore Coastal Louisiana. So just this year, more than 500 CRCL volunteers planted over 80,000 plants and 2,600 trees across the state. And more than 550 CRCL volunteers bagged approximately 206 tons of oyster shell to build reefs that protect our wetlands. Through this hard work and with the help of our their amazing coastal community, they built their second oyster reef from 400,000 pounds of recycled oyster shells um, and to protect an area that's culturally significant to the point of shen indian tribe so kudos to crcl for an amazing year
2: and thank you for your volunteer work uh it's one of the things i'm most proud of i actually got involved about five years ago i was just on holly beach here in cameron and i saw a group of people with blue t-shirts on doing something with some burlap sacks and grass and some strange orange shovel looking things and I walked up to one of them and just asked you know what CRCL stood for because on the backs of the blue t-shirts each said CRCL volunteer and they told me what they were doing at planting dune grass and I asked if I could help and it led me to learn more about the coalition and um, how I could actually physically do something to protect the coast and so that um, one other reason why I'm so passionate about it is there's, there's so very few board members representing the western side of the state and um, it, it's important for everyone in coastal Louisiana to get involved in CRCL is one way you know they're a 31 year old organization so they're they're tried and, and tested and um, worth getting involved in for anyone in the state
0: well, I know they're very grateful for your support and uh, l- happy to have you on the show as well. Um, and, Claire, I want to dig in on that a little bit about your motivation, you know, on co- coastal restoration. Um, I read that, you know, you obviously in your young lifetime, but even in your son's, 16-year-old son's lifetime, have seen drastic changes on our coast. Can you tell us a little bit about what you and your son have seen?
2: Absolutely. So um, I I live so close to the Gulf of Mexico that I can hear it from my front porch. And um, in in my lifetime, um, Highway 82, which runs from Winnie, Texas into Abbeville, Louisiana, um, the the portion of it here in Cameron, there's a stretch that is right on the Gulf. And uh, I remember at least twice seeing it with my own eyes crumble into the Gulf of Mexico because of the wave action. And about 25 years ago, uh, the state uh, put shoreline protection Uh, in between that Highway 82 and the Gulf and uh, land has accreted there and the state hasn't had to replace Highway 82 since then. So I've seen both the destruction of the wave action and the land loss and also the the positive impacts of shoreline protection. Uh, My son, uh, you mentioned he's only 16, he remembers being much younger and trips that we would make to Rutherford Beach where the, the beach now as it exists is um, drastically reduced. Uh, and he remembers being there and being able to run, you know, for, I don't know, 50 yards before he'd get to the water. And, and now it might be 20, 30 yards. It, it's, um, it's, uh, you know, um, it's, it's a shock to, to, especially for people who haven't been to Rutherford beach in quite some time to see how much land we've actually lost there. It's very sad.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we we feel in our part of the world, too. It's interesting that people are, you know, used to be something that where, you know, over your 40 year life, you would see changes. And now this next generation is is seeing the changes as well. So uh, another kind of... um, and Jacques mentioned this earlier, um, I think you worked with FEMA. Was that after Hurricane Rita or in response to Rita? Or uh, I'm asking absolutely. because next year is obviously a big anniversary with both the 15-year anniversary of Katrina and Rita. And so, you know, we wanted to talk a little bit about how you feel about the region's recovery since then.
2: So, if you go outside of, of Cameron Parish, the only the, the things that you might see that would indicate that a storm like Rita had come through in the other parishes in southwest Louisiana is that uh, people who live in low-lying areas may have elevated their homes, that sort of thing. Um, Cameron Parish has made tremendous strides in in our recovery. Uh, we're still not out of recovery, though, Simone. We um, Here in the village of Cameron, where I'm from, so the, the village of Cameron uh, is my hometown, and it's in Cameron Parish. So um, right here uh, where Rita made landfall and into the, the west of it, I mean the east of it, sorry, uh, we didn't have electrical power for nine months. So as long as it takes to make a baby, uh, we didn't have power. Uh, that forces people to create a new normal. There were about 2,500 people here where I grew up and live now before Rita. And now there might be 400 people. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, it's significant here. Um, most of the people who left the village of Cameron moved further north to places like Grand Lake or Hackberry in the parish. And um, it's, uh, you know, what would larger cities do if they were without power for mm-hmm. nine months? Yeah. right. How, you know, so we've worked to, to be better, you know, to build smarter, safer, stronger. Uh, we, we, you know, adopted international building codes. We have ordinances in place that uh, make it so that people can't develop unless they're building to base flood elevation. And uh, we we went round and round with FEMA with um, our digital flood insurance rate maps, and we, we really work to educate ourselves about, how a place comes back after a disaster, and it's not just us. Uh, a developer came into my office today, just today, and talked about the high frequency of uh, tropical impacts to Cameron Parish. And I said, <laughs> "Thanks, well, buddy. I know." <laughs> right? Yeah. So, well, but let's let's talk about the, the, the truth of the matter. The reality is, before 2005, we you know we got hit about five weeks after Katrina hit uh, with Rita here. Uh, before that, the the next Disaster of that magnitude was Hurricane Audrey in yeah. 1957. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if we get hit every season. We just got hit really bad and brought down to our knees, and we're standing up. So um, it's not the often occurrence that I think the rest of the world assumes about us. Um, well, and maybe to we'll always come back.
1: Yeah, to your point, maybe next time you can dodge. A blow, right? You know what I mean. Are you yeah. you're going to be stronger against that blow next time? About being more resilient and lessons learned, and I think that's what everybody's hoping. Kind of as we celebrate celebrate or we commemorate both of those anniversaries, is that right. we know more than we did now, and we're better for that than we were back then.
2: And look how far we've come. Mm-hmm.
1: And
0: Clara, people
2: around the world are going to look to us for the model of of how we do it.
0: That's exactly right. And, I mean, on that note, I think you and and a lot of others across our state have been working really hard to ensure that we can get additional funding for hurricane protection and coastal restoration protection. So tell us a little bit about the work you've been doing as part of this new group, the Go Mesa Revenue Sharing Coalition, um, and kind of what you all are aiming to achieve.
2: So I'm certainly so proud of this work, uh, getting to work with... Uh, the Coastal Protection Restoration Authority, people like Simone and others who have been, uh, just in the trenches to, to Find ways to restore and protect our coast. It's such important work. So, GOMESA uh, stands for the Gulf of Mexico Energy Securities Act, and it was signed into law by President George W. Bush back in 2006. And coastal Louisiana leaders were very involved in this effort for years before that. But under the act, Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Texas receive a portion of the revenue generated from the oil and gas production offshore in the Gulf of Mexico. And that act also directs a portion of revenue to the land and water conservation fund um but the the, the the big issue here and what we're all working so hard to achieve is that the uh the gomesa states share thirty seven and a half percent of those oil and gas revenues while the inland states colorado new mexico utah and wyoming they get 50 percent of their oil and gas revenues and what we're looking for is parity we we want to be treated the same as those inland states and so um There have been lots of uh, meetings and um, very um, aggressive efforts to make sure that this happens.
1: Well, we're still not done with you, Claire. Sorry, (laughs) not off the hook yet. If you don't mind staying with us through one more break, we have a few more questions, including a fun one, which we ask of all of our guests to get to know them a little bit better. So you mind sticking with us?
2: Absolutely. You know it.
1: Great. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We'll be right back.
0: And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Bear with Environmental Defense Fund.
1: And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat.
0: And we are back with Claire Abert marceau Port Director of the Cameron Parish Port. Claire, I know I asked for two segments with you, but you're just too good, so I really oh appreciate my. you staying on. <laughs> well, for we a have third to ask segment. the fun question, and, and of course, it's the fun question over. is a, a tradition on Delta Dispatches. Let's do.
1: Um, you want to do Coastal Voice, or you want to wait? We'll wait, but okay. let's let's get to the fun
0: question. So, Claire, uh, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas mm-hmm. over here. I don't know about over where you are, but um, your fun question is: What is your favorite Christmas song?
2: Modern and traditional.
0: Oh, wow. Mm. Simone's wow, complicating so it. I have mm. the,
2: I, that's really hard. I don't know that I have a, a favorite Christmas song. Um, but I think Simone started to sing it. It's beginning <laughs> to look a lot like Christmas, uh-huh. um, and then that um, Meli Kaliki Maka uh-huh. is a wise way. So I'm a I'm a um, national lampoons. Oh yeah, theme. yeah. So that that's that's probably my favorite one. That's yeah. definitely
0: my favorite Christmas movie. I think <laughs> of all time. Even we though, had
2: this. We Remember yes. with, with avid
1: listener Chip Klein. We had it out about what favorite Christmas movie was.
2: Well, yeah. that's my favorite Christmas movie. Christmas <laughs> movie. That's my favorite Christmas song. I'm it's coming back in the theaters. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Oh. It's what? It's coming back in the theaters just for Christmas. Be still, my heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hadn't heard that. I'm going to have to make plans.
1: I'm a Last Christmas Wham fan. Oh, <laughs> I,
0: that's a little surprising, <gasps> what? Oh. See,
1: It's so
2: hard. How can, I, how can I pick just one?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like traditional church songs, too, but that's my... I it ain't like Christmas Taylor till Smith's I hear the cover of it though.
2: hmm Did you hear Taylor Swift's cover mm-hmm. of Wham last Christmas? Yeah. No, mm-hmm.
1: Not gonna Yeah, yeah. don't <laughs> I am a big mm-hmm. Tay Tay fan, not doing
2: it.
0: I'm a, Can't I make kind that of better. emerging the modern and the traditional and mine is Oh Holy Night by Celine Dion. Ah. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> ah, I see what you did there. Yeah. I'm, shocked. Yeah. <laughs> I'm shocked.
0: Not not surprising at all. So Claire, before the break, we were talking about your work with the Go Mesa Coalition and um, working to kind of achieve parity for our revenues from offshore um, leases. Um, tell us, I mean, you were in D.C. and meeting with tons of folks, I'm sure. What was the reception like to kind of the case that you all were making up there?
2: Oh, I think the reception was great, and it's a testament to the work of, again, people like Simone, um, CPRA Chairman Chip Klein. Uh, He was recently quoted about um, the completion of the Cameron Creole Marsh creation project where he said uh, something along the lines of cooperation on the federal, state, local level is essential. And I think that the coalition really made that case so strongly that it, it was impossible for elected leaders to ignore it and the the vote uh november 19th to get it out of the senate energy and natural resource committee uh that that bill senate bill 2418 um was uh 12 to eight so um we we had a lot of support from utah montana arizona um you know north dakota and so uh you know, Lieutenant Governor Billy Nungesser got in the, the fight and made sure that we were all speaking the same message, you know, sending the same message to D.C. that these dollars are critical for us uh, to protect and restore our coast. Remember, look, these Go dollars are the only recurring revenue source for the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority. So and it's not just about us who live on this coast. It's about our entire nation. Think about this. Um, Louisiana. We talked about the Strategic Petroleum Reserve earlier. There are two in Louisiana. One's located here in Cameron Parish. Uh, Louisiana's 17 oil refineries account for nearly one fifth of the nation's refining capacity. So, what what's going to happen if our state continues to unravel due to coastal land loss to the rest of the country? Uh, we're exporting to more than 30 countries right now, our liquefied natural gas. Where, where do they source their natural gas from? These are very serious global issues that we're talking about. It is not simply limited to the Louisiana coast.
0: And Claire, I think you made a good point, and I'm sure you all made this when you were in D.C., but this, th- these dollars are not going into some you know, general fund to be used as, you know, they're, yeah. they're dedicated, right? And voters did that.
2: Right. In the state of Louisiana, the dollars that come in from the Gomesa royalties are used for uh, coastal protection and restoration projects so it's not as if these dollars go into some like you said general fund and anyone can use them they're dedicated to protect and and preserve restore our coast
1: and and that's one of be. the that's one of the messages that we take to DC right we put our money where our mouth is we passed a constitutional amendment by one of the highest rates ever in Louisiana mm-hmm. to put that money where our mouth is and so that gives people a lot of assurance that we're not just wasting the money that we have and so um, so, Claire, what's next on that um, front? What more do you have to do there?
2: Well, I, you know, the, the effort, it, it's not over. We, um, we have to make sure that the, the same message that was heard and that the Senate Energy and Natural Resource Committee heard back in, uh, on the 19th uh, is enacted into law. We, we need to see that parity that we're striving for instead of 37.5% percent with a, a cap on those dollars, uh, we need to see that same fifty percent that those inland states receive from their royalties. I think it 's only fair, and I think every Louisiana citizen should be involved in what 's happening, so should Texas and Alabama and Mississippi. They should all join us in this coalition and make sure that uh, washington d c hears loud and clear that we have the expectation and the demand that we will receive what the inland drilling states receive. It's that
1: simple. So, Claire, if folks did want to get more information or get involved, how for the coalition, the Gomesa Coalition, revenue sharing coalition, how would they go about doing that?
2: So they can visit the the, the state's website, the CPRA. Uh, website as well. Uh, They can get in touch with me. My website is www.cameronparishport.com. We will, in the coalition, work to get them directly in touch with people like Meg Bankston and others who are monitoring our list of coalition members and can get them... on our list of coalition members so that they're receiving up-to-date information in ways that people can help specifically with this effort to increase the the revenue sharing for us.
1: Also, um, we mentioned that you were a board member of CRCL earlier. Can you share some information about uh, CRCL? Absolutely. Yeah,
2: really quickly, um, crcl.org is the the website for that particular coalition. You can go there to crcl.org and learn about Christmas tree recycling, policy and advocacy efforts, science, the Fish for Data app, outreach and engagement, habitat restoration, oyster shell recycling, uh, the upcoming State of the Coast, uh, State of the Coast 2020. uh, Information is there and other ways, you know, things like the opportunity to donate and support. CR's, CRCL's vital uh, work. I mean, it's, it's so important that, that we protect, you know, defend in so many ways this very special place. I know you love it, too, so I'm happy to 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 be able to work alongside you with things like this.
0: Well, Claire, thank you so much um not just for being on the show today but for all of your advocacy and work on Louisiana's coast and helping to protect and defend it.
1: Claire's business card must like be like 3 business cards put <laughs> together. She wears many hats and You're we're very funny. appreciative for all those hats.
2: Oh, uh, well, I'm I'm so happy to have been able to be on today with you guys and look forward to seeing you both soon
0: yeah and we'd love to have you back um and so you know best wishes to you at the end of the year and holidays and, and then a bright new year for you and the cameron parish port
2: Awesome. I can tell that you guys are smiling just by your voice. So that It's awesome to talk to people like that. Thanks <laughs> have, for having me.
0: Yeah. Have a great uh, rest of your day, Claire. And um, I would like to you know, end this amazing interview with the Coastal Voice of the Week. Um, so this week's Coastal Voice is from Southwest Louisiana. Um, Brenda and Cameron says, I know how important the coast is to the survival of both birds and humans. I also have witnessed how fast we are losing this beautiful place. Louisiana is where I was born and raised and to see it washing away is heartbreaking officials be aware more and more of us are watching and that's from Brenda and Cameron Louisiana and as a reminder you can go online at any point and submit your coastal voice of the week at restorethecoast.org.
1: You had to sneak those birds in there though.
0: (laughs) You caught that. (laughs) Where's oysters? Are they next? There's great birds in uh, southwest Louisiana in fact I know Audubon is out there Mm -hmm. frequently um, doing monitoring and um, fencing on Holly Beach.
1: Our good friend and, and former guest David Muth told me he is going to do the Christmas bird count out there.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah. So I mean, Southwest Louisiana is so wonderful and important in so many ways culturally, ecologically, economically. Um, so we're really glad that we were able to highlight it um, today. So when we come back, we are going to talk. Speaking of birds, Simone, oh, I, um, I knew it was coming. To a filmmaker who has a new documentary coming out about um, you know coastal issues through the lens of duck hunting. So perfect. Um, we've had um, you know folks on in the past who are avid hunters and outdoorsmen, um, and so we're excited to talk to this filmmaker about um, the the documentary, who she's yeah. profiled, and and kind of what it's about, where folks can go and watch it. Um, so we'll be right back with Emma Reed and the new documentary is called In the Blind. Uh, and you're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. You can also catch up on all of our episodes from this from the year. We've had a lot of really good episodes. We had the governor on, we had um, chief meteorologist at WDSU Margaret Orr. We've had a lot of our friends on. So another great year for Delta Dispatches. Go and catch up on all the prior shows at deltadispatches.org and we'll be back with Emma Reed after the break. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Bear with Environmental Defense Fund.
1: And I'm Simone Laws with Restore or Retreat.
0: And we're here with Emma Reed. Emma Reed is a New Orleans-based filmmaker originally from Minneapolis. Um, she's done a lot of work in environmental science and communications and co-produced the national tele-award-winning documentary Finding Common Ground. Um, she's also wor- worked really closely with Dr. Bob Thomas, who we've had on the show before. So welcome to Delta Dispatches, Emma.
3: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: So tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, you're from Minneapolis originally. Um, How do you like it on this side of the river?
3: I love it here. Um, I moved from Minneapolis for college. I went to Loyola University, and Dr. Bob's actually been one of my mentors for a very long time. And I started studying science at Loyola, and he's the one that kind of got me into... The communication side, and um, from working on finding common ground with him and Kevin McCaffrey, I got really into working on documentaries, and that's what I do now
0: that's awesome and Emma and I actually uh, completed uh, dr Bob's uh, environmental uh, Institute of Environmental Communication at Loyola together yes. uh, several years back so um well, I'm so excited to talk about this new documentary that you have coming out in the blind i've Talk to you about it over the years as you were, you were working on the documentary. So tell us first, what is it uh, about and what got you interested in this topic?
3: It's kind of been a long time in the making. Um, I went on my first duck hunt about three years ago for a side project that I was doing for a local artist named Jenna Napoli. She was painting ducks and wanted me to go out and film with the hunters. and. So I guess three years ago, I wound wound up in a duck blind in Kaplan, Louisiana. (laughs) And it was a totally new experience for me. I had never been hunting. I didn't know much about hunters, but I was very interested in, from previous documentaries, about the connection that people have to the land, especially in Louisiana, these people that live off the land. And um, so, It kind of gave me the idea to start this new film, and it kind of covers the history of duck hunting, the hunter's role in conservation, which I was not familiar with at first, and I found very interesting. And it looks a lot at the future of the sport and the hunter's view of coastal restoration.
0: So there are some familiar faces in the documentary. Katie Percy, who we've had on the show. Um, Albertine Kimball, who I don't know if we've had her, but we should have her on the show. <laughs> she would be so much fun. I you know. <laughs> um, uh, Dick Kroll, who's a former board chair for Audubon, Louisiana, and, and, um, and Bob Marshall. So tell us a little bit about the perspectives that some of these people bring to the documentary.
3: Well, a lot of the perspectives, you know, there's a sadness and a nostalgia for the way things used to be when there was a lot more land and a lot more ducks. But the film really looks to the future of the sport too. Um, You would think that the issue would be losing ducks, but it's actually we're losing hunters. And the film explores how hunters are a major funding source for conservation of wildlife and of public land. So some of the perspectives show show, uh, what we need to do to either recruit hunters or find another source of funding for all of these things that we enjoy.
0: And, I mean, is some of the, the perspective that, um, you know, some of these hunters have seen just by being out season to season changes in their lifetime in terms of, I mean, either the land or the species and the, the quantity of ducks that they're kind of seeing out there?
3: Oh, yeah. Well, having a background in environmental science and maybe just from being in Minneapolis... I never considered this role that hunters play in this conservation movement and how much they've done going back before the 20th century. And I came to realize a lot of these hunters have a deep connection to the land. They're out there every day, a lot of them, so they're seeing these changes. And I thought it was very interesting how this group who's so invested in this resource can come together and really advocate for it
1: it's so interesting here in louisiana that you know things like hunting especially duck hunting i find is is so cultural and so generational right kids little kids go in the blinds with their parents right like little kids right and that's where they learn to shoot a gun, you know and all these kinds of things and you know they have their um you know their pride their dogs their hunting dogs right uh, yeah. and it's like it's really family oriented in in a lot of ways and so it's an interesting thought to think that that um being a conservationist is also something that gets passed down and that blind when they're together too
3: yes and at first the whole idea of killing something and that being con- conservation That just didn't make sense to me. But it really took going out there so many times. And I was with a lot of kids. (laughs) I was with um, one kid when he shot his first duck. (laughs) And um, I just realized there's... And what they all say, that it's so much more than killing a duck. Right. And the movie kind of shows how it is. Right.
0: So I want to make sure we get this out. So the... Documentary is actually premiering next week, correct? So tell us some of the details about where it's premiering, but then also where people can make sure they go and watch it.
3: Yes. So I partnered with Louisiana Public Broadcasting to create this film. And before it airs on LPB, which is on Thursday, December 12th at 7 p.m., we're going to have a couple preview screenings, one in Shreveport on November 9th, and then one in Lafayette on uh, November 11th, sorry, December 11th.
0: Awesome, and you also have a website for the film, is that correct?
3: Yes, yeah, so all of the information, a trailer and the screenings is on, it's www.intheblinddoc.org.
0: And I mean, you also worked on the documentary, Finding Common Ground. Um, So how are these different or what was it like kind of working on this documentary compared to your last one?
3: Well, Finding Common Ground is a documentary that I started working on with Bob Thomas my senior year. And that really opened my eyes to the power of storytelling and how people, when you bring different groups together and build trust, and have them talk about some of these very complicated issues that we have on the coast, how effective that can be. And that really got me interested in creating more documentaries similar to that. I never thought I would make one on duck hunting. <laughs> it seemed a little crazy at first, but um, a lot has changed since then. So with that being said,
1: you know, what's next? Like you probably don't know what's next, or, or you, could, you don't know where it might take you next.
3: Well, I definitely plan on making more documentaries, Mm -hmm. especially about the coast and, you know, the culture here. But before that, I have a lot of invitations to go on duck hunts. (laughs) I've actually become a duck hunter myself. So you have through Mm -hmm.
1: what? Through January or so, right? They duck hunt?
3: Yes, through January. A little after January. Yes. Yes.
1: See, Mm -hmm. I know some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well,
0: one more time, um, tell people when they can tune in next week to watch the documentary and also the website.
3: So on LPB at 7 p.m. on December 12th on Thursday.
0: Awesome. And the website?
3: The website is www.intheblinddoc.org.
0: Well, thank you so much, Emma Reed, um, for coming on. We'd love to have you back at another point and keep us, um, you. you know, informed about what you have going on next. And congratulations on this uh, premiere. It must feel so good after working on something for so long and so hard and who knows how many blinds you've been in <laughs> to kind of see it ready to come out
3: over 50 wow <laughs>
0: and across she the could coast, probably write right? a old coffee
1: table book on yeah. blinds and interior decorating and design yeah. of blinds right it's so. been some crazy places <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure there are some stories
0: that's for after the show uh, a segment so um, well another great show Simone um, I'm sad that we're wrapping down 2019 but I know we have good things ahead in 2020 I do want to give a shout out to our friends at Lake Terrain Basin yes. Foundation because one of my favorite holiday events is coming up. Lights on the Lake Celebration and Boat Parade, December 14th 2 to 8 p.m. at the Lighthouse there um, at New Canal Basin Lighthouse. Um, They're going to have music,
1: yeah. food, things for kids to do. Yeah? Santa?
0: Santa, mm-hmm. um, there also will be, you know, um, crafts and vendors and of course the amazing boat parade. It is so cool to see these yeah, sailboats like decked out with like Santa Clauses and lights and just, you know, going on the lake. It's, it's a really special event. So make sure to head down there December 14th. Um, well it goes from two to 8 PM, but I think the parade starts kind of at mm-hmm. dark when it's yeah. dark. So, um, Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation. Um, And that's it for this show. Um, We will talk to you next week on Delta Dispatches. You can listen online at any time at deltadispatches.org. Have a great week.